This is very, very, I, I got to tell you, this is like, um, like a dream come true, to be honest. This is a day that I've been waiting for and thinking about and praying about for like seriously about f- between five and seven years. Um, if you've just been coming to a mission fr- from this campus on, you're part of that dream. If you're someone that came from Morris and joined this team, or you came from Shorewood or Manuka or Braidwood and joined this team, you're part of that dream. Um, honestly, this is the coolest thing in the world. This is so rad. I just, I'm so excited. And there's so many people here that I don't know, and I just think that's even cooler. Um, Pastor Eric is over at Manuka. He is blessing them with his presence, and his, uh, he's speaking an amazing word today over there at, uh, at Mission uh, Manuka on salvation. He's going to be preaching that message this at this campus next week. And so I get a chance to preach what I'm preaching before you today um, over there the following week. But I just got to tell you that you are so lucky. You're not supposed to say that in Christian circles. You're supposed to say blessed, but you are. You're so lucky. You are so lucky to have Eric. Amen? Like he is, he's the best. Like honestly, we were praying for the right person that God would put in this position. And we, like this is where we were praying. And then it was like, Here's Eric. And so like, we are just so absolutely ecstatic about the fact that he's on the team. I praise God for the fact that we've got the, the volunteer core we have, the people like we have McKenna, we have Jolie, we have Reese, we have Katie. Your, this campus is vibrant with amazing leaders and leadership from the volunteer base all the way on up. And I'm just so excited and really, really blessed and lucky to be before you today. And so if you've got your Bibles, if you could turn in them to John chapter 16. We're, we're in a series that's called In Case You Just Joined Us. And again, if you're brand new to the church, this is a perfect time for you to figure out what it is that we believe as a church. And uh, because this, we're basically going through our doctrinal, our articles of faith. And doctrine is basically, yeah, we really believe this. It's not like, yeah, kind of. It's like, no, we really believe this stuff. There's lots of stuff that as a church we disagree on that are smaller things, but we, we're covering the major things in this series in case you just joined us. And in case you just are picking up on the fact that this is uh, a church that you're looking at, you're kind of dating to see if this is a right fit for you, perfect time for you to be here for this. And in this series, we're actually going through, and uh, this particular week, we're talking about who the Holy Spirit is really. Like, who is the Holy Spirit really? But I have to say that just on the onset of that, um, the Holy Spirit is someone that freaks a lot of us out, because we don't get the Holy Spirit. We don't get him. Like, honestly, like, uh, I, I honestly have had a predisposition towards the Holy Spirit similar to the, my predisposition I had towards math. Okay, I don't get math. I've never gotten math. Like, I tried to get math. I tried to be, like, a mathematician. They tried to make it sound cool. It never was. Like, I'd show up in classes, and no matter how many times the teacher tried to teach me, how many tutors I would get, no matter how many times in my algebra class, Miss Yamada tried to teach me and teach me, and no matter how many pieces of, of homework that she crumpled up because she saw I was copying off the smart kid next to me, no matter how many times, zilch, I don't get it. I still to this day don't get it. If you start, when my kids bring home math books, it's like they're bringing home something like nefarious. Like, oh, get that out of here. I hate it. I don't like, I don't get math. Now, how many of you, how many of you are people like that? You do not get or enjoy or, okay, you're my people. How many of you actually feel predisposed to enjoy math? You get it. You like it. It you're, there's help for you, but you're sick, 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 sick. You're sick people. I don't understand that, but because, but here's the thing. In spite of my aversion to math, because I don't understand it, I don't get it. It is, 
I'm surrounded by the fruit of people who do get it. In fact, if it wasn't for math, everything that, from where you're sitting to the engineering of the chairs that you're in, to the lights, to the, to the concrete, to everything, everything in this room was impacted by people who get math. Even though I don't get it, even though I'm freaked out and I'm just talking about it, I'm like getting cold sweats. People, math, the impact of math is all around me. And to be honest, it's quite a bit like the Holy Spirit. A lot of us in church land are freaked out by the Holy Spirit because we don't get him. Is it a him? Is it an it? Is it a she? What is it? Is, is, is it mystic? Is this like a ghost? I heard people say Holy Ghost. That weirds me out. I don't want to be around a, whole, a ghost. That's bizarre. Is it charismatic where you're like doing a lot of crazy stuff and speaking in tongues and bringing people back from the dead? Or is it like, no, it's none of that. I don't get it. It's like so confusing and so like absolutely ambiguous that people like Francis Chan wrote a whole book on the Holy Spirit. And the title of that book is The Forgotten God. We have forgotten this member of the Trinity. You know, we're, we're totally cool with God the Father, God the Son. We can wrap our brains around those members of the Trinity. But God the Holy Spirit is someone that we're like, yeah, we're just going to put him over here. Because we're weirded out by the fact we don't get the Holy Spirit. He's absolutely someone we don't understand. But I would say this. A majority of your issues that you struggle with on a day-to-day basis, if not all, a majority of your problems that you wrestle with, if not all, I would argue come from a disconnection with the Holy Spirit. A majority of the things that you wrestle with this past week stem from an ignorance of or disconnection to the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, that's just the reality. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit is someone who wants to give us that easy on-ramp back any day of the week. And this week, I'm praying that today is the day that we step into that. We're in, in, the, in the book of John, and I think that I put John 14 on the slides, when in reality, it's not John 14. It's going to be John 16. So just pretend like that says a 6, all right? So if you've got your Bibles, John 16, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11, and it says this. This is Jesus talking. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Okay, pause real quick. How many of you really enjoy when people leave your house? Let's be honest. It's good times. It's like, oh, it's so great to have you. Get out of here. And sometimes it's like people you're obligated to have there, like family. But when they're gone, you're like, I mean, it's like, seriously, they're gone. Jesus was not one of those people. There are people that we really, really hate having to say goodbye to. Jesus was one of those. And Jesus is telling his disciples, before the cross, I'm going to peace out. I'm leaving. I'm gone. And it's going to be really good that I do. To which they're like, I have no idea why you're saying that. I don't get what you're saying. Verse 7 again, very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will provide, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people don't believe in me, and about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And he goes on from there. One of the things that, if we just want to look at that passage, I mean, just take a look at it. One of the things that we see in that is the fact that he says this, very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Again, this could not have made sense when Jesus said it. It certainly could not have made sense afterwards because honestly, there's this big period of time where Jesus dies on the cross and then they're just kind of like waiting in, hold on a sec. 
I'm getting a phone call. How's it going, Eric? Dude. Yeah, hold on, I'm going to put you on speakerphone. How's it going? Oh, he hung up on me. He calls me, laughs that I pick up. If you have Eric's number, just text him really, really mean things right now. That'd appreciate that. Cuts into my sermon. All right. It's for your good that I'm going away. That makes no sense unless... <laughs> ha ha, can't believe you answered. <laughs> All right, Eric. What's one thing that you can do with Jesus that you cannot do with the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you. Run away from him. Like if Jesus is physically walking around, you could actually, if you're super fast, outrun Jesus. You can't outrun the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And so when Jesus says, it's for your good that I'm going away, what he's saying is, listen, I'm going to give you someone that you'll will never leave you. will never, you, that whole thing of God with us, Emmanuel, that could actually happen because I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not, will not come to you. Now this word advocate, different Bibles translate it differently. Some Bibles translate it comforter. Some, some translate it helper. It's a word that means helper, comforter, ally. He's saying this, you're going to have an ally who's from God, who's going to be with you 24-7. You have someone advocating for you 24-7. You can't find a friend like that. You can't have a boyfriend or girlfriend that great. You can't have a spouse that amazing. It ain't going to happen. Unless I go away, that's not going to happen. That word advocate is paraclete. And it's this idea of someone who's defending you before a judge even. Do you feel judged by this world? You have an ally. Do you feel judged in your own sin? Totally. We have an ally. So we're going to be talking about him today. Now, if you wanted to go into deeper study on this, honestly, go to missionbible.church. We have our whole articles of faith. If you go to start here and what we believe, you can actually find out exactly what we believe. And we want you to know that we're not just trying to draw these things out of the hat. Like, oh, this is what we're going to believe because my granny told me this. We want you to know that we're actually looking to say, we're trying to source our beliefs out of scripture because the Bible has way better ideas than your pastor, than me, then Katie Seavers, way better ideas. And, and we want you to know that they're there. So for deeper study, I would encourage you to go through what we believe and why we believe it in your own personal study. But I'm just going to unpack this, like five parts of this thing real quick, starting off with the fact that we believe that the Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ in all that he does. Jesus said in John 16, just to, uh, in that same section, just a couple verses later, talking about the Holy Spirit, saying he will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what will be made known to you. I put it this way, like I just, just as far as, the, this is the amazing thing about the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all about bringing fame to Jesus by bringing us to Jesus to make us just like Jesus so our world will see Jesus. Who is the Holy Spirit all about? Jesus. He's all about trying to get us to Jesus, to glorify Jesus, to bring fame to Jesus. And this is the amazing thing, because this is one of the things about our faith that if you have an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and his role within the Trinity then you understand something that you don't have to be afraid of any longer. And that is this. I don't have to be afraid or I don't have to have fear of surrender. I don't have to have fear of submitting to someone else or, or serving someone else. You know what? Humanity, we have such a huge issue with being all about ourselves, our rights, our needs, our preferences. If you infringe on my preferences, woo, woo. I mean, I might smile at you, but I'm going to be hating on you. 
If you infringe on my rights, I'm gonna show you that I've got a bill of rights that are actually like advocating for my rights. Now rights are great, but as human beings, we think that we have a right to do whatever we wanna do. And we don't wanna serve or surrender to anyone. We don't wanna submit. That's like an S word we don't wanna even say. But here's the great thing. Because we look at the Holy Spirit's role within the Trinity, we can see that he is serving Jesus. He's passing on words from Jesus. He's trying to bring us to Jesus. Not because he's dumber than Jesus, weaker than Jesus. He's co-equal with Jesus, and yet he is serving him. And this is the, this is the main thing. We, when we serve someone else, or even submitting to them, that does not diminish my value or my worth. Who's someone in your world that you need to serve? Who's someone in your world that you need to serve better? But you've been kind of resistant. You've been kind of like, no way, not on my life. If you're married, it's your spouse. Ephesians talks about that. We're supposed to, like it says, submit one to another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, lay down your life for your wives. It's like this, I'm surrendering my rights, my preferences for this person that I'm connected to. If you're someone in a society, there's, there's like systems of government. We don't even have to have to like them, vote for them or, or whatever. But we have this amazing thing called from scripture that Jesus told us to do which is to surrender, which is so counterintuitive. And yet it's right there. I don't have to be afraid of that because I look at the person of the Holy Spirit. But then it gets even cooler. Check this out. The Holy Spirit, by the way, we, we use the pronoun he um, for the Holy Spirit because that's what we see in Scripture. When, when we see the Godhead described, it's using male pronouns. That, that throughout Hebrew and Greek, you see the male pronouns ascribed to the Godhead. And so we understand that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we refer to him as a he, not as an it. Because honestly, um, when you call someone, most people, most people don't appreciate being called an it. Most people don't. Some people are cool with it, but most people don't. Like if you're dating someone, you're like, yeah, I've been like, I've been dating her for, no, sorry, apologize. Pronouns matter. I've been dating it for six and a half months. One day I might even marry it. And then we can be married for decades and I can have a love story with it like no one, no, no one says that. Like seriously, if you talk, if you start talking to, about your girlfriend that way, you will not make it to marriage. You won't. And if you start talking about your wife that way, you won't make it to the parking lot, okay? <laughs> People appreciate pronouns and they don't like to be called something like, so when we, so for us, the only, if God decided that he wanted to come, come if he wanted to convey himself as in the, in the feminine, as in she's, the only people that would have an issue with that are bigots or weirdos. If that's who God is, we should call God a she. However, if God decides that he wants to convey himself in the masculine, we roll with it because we don't have an issue with God doing what God wants to do. That's just the way it is. He was sent at Pentecost to initiate and complete the building of the body of Christ. His divine activity includes convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Okay, so this is, this is huge. One of the things that we see in this is that the Holy Spirit, we see his activity start at Pentecost. Everyone say Pentecost. What does Pentecost mean? I don't know. It means 50th or 50th week. It's, or not 50th day. It's the 50th day beyond Passover. And so Passover happens and all of a sudden, boop, 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 boop. Like Passover is a massive, huge Super Bowl celebration for Jewish people. 50 days later, they've got Pentecost. And so they get a chance to celebrate that. And one of the cool things about Pentecost and is that Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was first given to people who had put their trust in the resurrected Jesus, that God was going to indwell man. The Holy Spirit's active throughout the whole Old Testament, but kind of like special ops. 
Like he comes in and, he, and he's doing a special work and he does a special, or he's, he anoints a king and he's with the king for a certain period of time, but he does not permanently indwell that person. That's why when David has uh, this adulterous affair with Bathsheba and kills Uriah, he's afraid that the Holy Spirit will be taken from me because the Holy Spirit could say adios. That was totally doable until Pentecost. At Pentecost, there would be a permanent indwelling where the Holy Spirit would do, be doing all of these things and this is huge. I love this. If you go to the Old Testament, the thing that they're celebrating at Pentecost is the fact that God gave his law to the Jewish people. It's like God expressing his heart. I want to give you a system of government. This is how we roll. This is my heart. And so he gives that to them at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, it's like this wedding covenant between God and man. And it's written on those Ten Commandments that you saw Charlton Heston carry, right? So you got it written in stone. And all of a sudden, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. He sees that the people are already breaking the love covenant, the marriage covenant with God. They're cheating on God with all these foreign idols. And so Moses just chucks those tablets down and shatters them. He's so frustrated. And he tells the leadership to go and kill all the people that were involved with the idolatry. Do you know how many people died that day? 3,000. At, at, at the very first Pentecost, 3,000 people died. The law is given. Man is Guilty of breaking the law, 3,000 people die. Fast forward, all of a sudden, Jesus dies on the cross. He's making a new covenant with mankind. And 50 days after the Passover, where he had that last supper with his disciples, all of a sudden at Pentecost, when they're like, I don't know, Jesus told us to hang around and wait for the advocate who was supposed to come, not to leave Jerusalem. All of a sudden, they're together, and the Holy Spirit indwells them for the very first time. And they go on outside, and they start speaking in all these different languages. And everyone outside thinks they're totally lit. Like, they're like, they've been drinking way too much. Like, you guys are drunk. Like, no, we're not drunk. It's like 9 in the morning. Here's the deal. And they explain the whole gospel. And the people who were listening hear from God what they had done to distance themselves from God, and they give their life to Jesus. And you know how many people got saved that day? 3,000. The law is initially given and broken, and 3,000 people die. Throughout the Old Testament, they, you keep hearing the prophets say, one day, one day we're going to have someone with us, and God's going to not write his law on stone tablets, but on the human heart. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you doing this. He was sent at Pentecost to accomplish this. This is, this is massively important. He writes it on our, our own heart. And, and what this tells us is this. I don't have to fear the project of my life getting done. It is God indwelling you that's going to help. If you're growing closer to God, you showing up today, that was something that God is doing inside of you. If you when you first open up your heart to Jesus, that was not because you're smarter than the person who's a pagan. That's not because you're, 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 you're like just more spiritually astute than an atheist. It's because God himself woke up your heart. He's the one who's doing the project on your heart. You don't have to fear the project of your life getting done. If you're thinking about the, 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 the Trinity, I like to think of it this way. You have God the Father who's like, he's the architect. He's got the, the plans, like all the plans laid out for the building of your life. And then I, I, not only that, he has the Son who's paid for the project of your house. God the Father's will is the, is the architectural plans, it's the blueprints. God the Son is the one who paid for the project. How did Jesus pay for the project? With his life, his own blood. God the Father is the architect. God the Son is the one who paid for the project. God the Holy Spirit, he's the laborer. He's the one who day after day after day after day is building in you the spiritual building that God wants to accomplish. Pastor Eric is building a house in Morris. This is awesome. 
Realtors, when he and Cherry first came to town, tried to talk them into looking outside of Morris because there were more options outside of Morris. They couldn't understand why they would be so narrow in their field of where they wanted to build a house or buy a house. Realtors said, don't you realize that if you don't buy outside of Morris, you're probably not going to find a house and get into your house right away. And Eric said, I understand that. Eric had a conviction, he and Cherry both, that he wanted a pastor in the same town that he lived. And so he's building a home in Morris. Yeah? Isn't that awesome? That's commendable. You know what else is commendable? He didn't ask for my help. I mean, I'm his friend. I would have been there if he asked me, but he'd be a fool to ask me. Because there's no way that that building would pass inspection after my hands got on it. Not a chance. Eric is putting in charge of that project people he can trust, like Dave Bowles, not like Errol McFadden. And the reality is, is that that is something that, that we have the confidence of in Christ. If you're someone who's a young believer and you're like, I just feel like I'm screwing up my faith. I feel like I've got doubts all the time. I feel like I'm, I stumble over things and I wish I would just like grow, grow, grow. And I feel like everyone else is a better Christian than me. You have to understand this. Philippians 1.6 says that being confident of this, Paul says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry that work on to completion. You do not have to fear the project of your life getting done. Amen? That's huge. It's massively important. And if we continue finding out more about, whoop, here we go. <laughs> the Holy Spirit all about, uh, whoa. Interesting. All right, there we go. Glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is kind of the continuing work of what he does. He glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to get to the end of the sentence, I know. <laughs> By his continual filling, transformation, transforming believers into Christ's likeness. Okay, one of the th key things is this. As the laborer, he's the one who's working on your life. He's the one who's doing it. He's the one who's, who's he's leading you to change. Just very much like Reese told us. He's the one who's causing us to come to repentance. You are not alone. How many of you go to a gym? I mean, I mean that's an okay thing to ask. How many go to a gym? There's two people in Morris... The rest of you are like, I don't need any work. Look at this. Yeah. All right. Well, I need help. So I go to a gym because guess what? I will actively talk myself out of any type of physical labor. Like push-up, eh, it's Tuesday though. I mean, that, that's like kind of my perspective. And so it's like, honestly, the reason that people go to trainers or go to a gym where they have a personal trainer is to motivate them to do what they don't want to do. Because we as people will actively talk ourselves out of the things that are in our best interest. We will. We will actively, I'm too tired, I'm too, t whatever. You know, all these things, we do that. And, and the reality is, is that we need someone. I, I go to a place called KFIT. And at KFIT, there's a guy named Kenji. I think Kenji has killed people in his life. Like for real, like for real, I think he's killed people. And so when I'm waking up, and I've got to wake up at like 5.30 to go to this gym. When I wake up at 5.30, the only reason I'm going is because Kenji's there, and Kenji expects me to show up, and Kenji can kill me. I don't think he would kill me, but he, he could kill me. But the reality is this. When I show up, when, I, when I'm showing up, each and every time I go to KFIT, I'm going there because I know Kenji's expecting they're going to show up, and I know that Kenji wants to accomplish something in me I could not do by staying away. The Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, is indwelling you. 
And he's doing these things. He is your personal trainer. If you've ever felt in your faith, like, I just feel like I'm so alone. Guess what? You don't have to fear that. Not if you're a Christian. You don't have to fear being alone. When you're surrounded by folks and, you, and everything is great and, and good right there, Jesus, Jesus has, has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit through his sacrifice. Right in those moments of where everything's good, God is still challenging us to be more like Jesus. When you're devastated and everything goes wrong and life and, and all of a sudden the things at work are stressful and things in your relationships are just complicated and things just feel like everything's falling apart. Guess what? You're not alone there because, Je because Jesus has given us the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you. If you're a believer, he is with you. Everything in life that, that, that you're going through, no matter how bad, whether it's the firing or it's the diagnosis or it's the breakup, each one of these things, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is alongside you using the garbage in life to actually pull you closer to Jesus, to make you more like Jesus. You are not alone. You have a personal trainer. If you're a Christian, every single day you have a personal trainer. You have someone who's actually actively helping you go through each one of these things in life, and that's the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to be afraid of surrender. You don't have to be afraid of your life work, your project in life being finished well. And you don't have to fear being alone. And you don't have to fear being pointless. Every single one of us, I'm guessing, was asked at some point by someone, what do you want to be when you grow up? An astronaut. That didn't happen. What do you want to be when you grow up? That's a terrible question. Because we're asking someone, what is it you want to get paid to do professionally? But we don't ask that. We ask, what do you want to be? Like, what's your job is it that defines you? What if you lose that thing that defines you? What if that thing that defines you gets to be a, a, a nightmare, not a dream? The better question is, 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 what is it that we're here to do? And, and the reality is that the Holy Spirit helps us flesh out the exact thing of what we were supposed to do. The Articles of Faith continues. He baptizes all believers. Man, alive. Oh, yeah. He baptizes all believers into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation, indwelling, sanctifying, instructing, and empowering them for service through the giving of spiritual gifts. One of the things that we see here is that, that, that what the, one of the key things the Holy Spirit does is he, at the moment of your salvation, is gifting you with things that help you fulfill the point that you were put on planet Earth to do. Um, people get all freaked out by this, by the way. Like, they get really scary. Like, 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 man, like, what does this mean exactly? We have people at our church who look at the New Testament and they see speaking in tongues and miracles and bringing people back from the dead and all these things and say, yeah, the Holy Spirit is still actively doing all of these things. We also have at Mission Bible Church people who say, no, the Holy Spirit is still giving us the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, self-control, all these, and he's still leading us. But those things are old school. Those are no longer. And so we have, honestly, we have both people at our church, both people following scripture and trying to live out scripture. I don't think you need to get complicated with either one of them. That's not the point. The point is, and this is the point, the point is that you have a point. You have a purpose. You have a point in your life. And that's not something that you can outgrow or, or outdo. You have a point. You don't have to be living your life without the thought of being someone who, or you don't have to live with the idea that you're purposeless. People um, will constantly tell you, one of the things, I'm watching my dad go through retirement. And my dad, as he's going through retirement, he says, Errol, it's so weird because I feel this depression like fall upon me that I have no point. 
I have no purpose. I'm not needed anymore. I've walked along people in their 70s and 80s feel like they're just being put on the shelf. One of the most amazing men that I've ever known, a guy named Harv Russell, was a guy who was so bummed out in the last couple years of his life because he felt like God, like God was just putting him on the shelf, not being used anymore. That is something that, honestly, because the Holy Spirit, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear that at all because the point of our life is to glorify God and serve others. So whether you're like someone who's a plumber, a pitcher, a picker, or a pastor, if you're a Christian, you have a point. God will give you everything that you need to do everything that you should, to glorify him and love others. If you're someone who's homeless or needless, if you're a Christian, you have a point. You have a purpose. If you're someone that's disrespected because you're so stinking young, or you're someone who's disrespected because you're so stinking old, if you're a Christian, you have a purpose. You have a point to glorify God and love others. And God will give you everything that you need to do everything that you should. And one of my favorite parts about the Holy Spirit, in the fact, in spite of all this other stuff, the fact that every single day we have this direction from him is the fact that Scripture promises this. The Holy Spirit seals us, us, unto the day of redemption. I'm writing, uh, there, there's someone who's been writing me just questions and meeting with me, and she's just like, I'm terrified that I've lost my salvation. I'm terrified that I've, that I've done something that could make God kick me out of the club for the rest of my life. And I'm looking at scripture and I'm trying to find assurance of the fact that that's not true, but I'm terrified that it is. And so I take her to Ephesians chapter one, where Paul talks about this promise, that if you're saved by God, you're saved by God, not your performance, not your track record, not your abilities, you're saved by God. You're someone who's fallen off a cliff and you've reached out for God and he's grabbed you, but he's grabbed you by the wrist, not by the hand. Because if he grabbed you by the hand, you could let go of that. He grabbed you by the wrist. And in your life, when you are experiencing the joy of your salvation, you're in partnership with the Holy Spirit, holding on to God in your decisions, holding on to God in your trust, holding on to God and repenting from sin. You're actually experiencing that. But there's going to come points where you get like flaky in your faith and you're going to let go. But guess what? He still has you because your grip on God was not based on your grip on God. Your grip on God was based on the fact that the Holy Spirit has sealed you. This is on him. Your salvation, now that you've turned to him, is on him. And his faithfulness trumps every bit of our unfaithfulness any, any day of the week. This gives us the assurance that we don't have to fear being rejected. We do not have to fear being rejected. When I'm pastoring people, one of the things, and Pastor Eric, I could say this confidently about him as well, we have an optimistic outlook. Some people are, are born optimists. Some people are born pessimists. Some of you are, are, are pessimistic people, right? No, I am not. And I never will be. Okay. Some of us are, are just optimistic. I, was, I, I feel like I was born optimistic. And sometimes... Poorly so, like, but I, I feel like I was born optimistic. Um, part of it is just my wiring. Part of it's because I think my parents dropped me too much when I was a baby. But I just have this outlook on the fact that I can't possibly lose hope in people. And that's not because of my outlook. I don't lose hope in people because of the fact that I know the end of the story and I know the, the God who is indwelling those people, that he is still working in them. 
He has sealed them unto the day of salvation. He is someone who's going to consistently challenge them and grow in them. I don't give up on people because he hasn't given up on me. And here's the deal. If we're going to be people who are living this out this week, I'm just going to have one simple application, and that's this. The 60-second challenge. If you want to get good at anything, you have to be trained, including relying on the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the part of the Trinity who's indwelling you and growing in you. So this is what I want to challenge you to do. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, surrender your life to Jesus. You have nothing to fear and everything to gain. He loves you. He's made provision for your, for your, for your forgiveness. You're not jumping through hoops from this point on to prove your love to him. He loves you. And he's made sacrifice to you. Surrender your life to him. However, if you are a Christian, this week, I want you to become in tune with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who is the laborer in the building of your life. And I want you to do this in 60-second increments. So, let's say that you struggle with anger. Some of you do. Some of you have been angry at me, so I know it. If you struggle with anger, and you're sensing your palms getting sweaty, and you're sensing your frustrations rising, say, okay, I may return to this ticked-off posture that I'm in right now, but I'm going to have 60 seconds where I'm going to surrender that anger to, to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, for 60 seconds, I need you to help me maintain peace and have an outlook towards the person that I've ticked off at that is loving. Just for 60 seconds. At 61 seconds, I can go back to being a terrible, angry, angry person. But for 60 seconds, I'm going to do that. And I bet you, that if you actually train yourself to do that, you will find yourself getting to 61 seconds, realizing, whoa, life is so much different if I'm not just shooting from the hip. Life is better if I'm not just reacting, but instead surrendering myself to the Holy Spirit's leadership. If you struggle with lust, whether it's pornography or it's just looking at people, and you're like, there's no way that I can overcome this. This is just absolutely overwhelmingly difficult for me to, to actually think that I could go through a, an hour, let alone a day or a week, without these lustful thoughts that are just like rampaging my mind. 60 seconds. Whether it's going to pornography or it's going to look at this person, just surrender 60 seconds. And to say, God, I need your help. So for 60 seconds, I'm not going to do what I'm feeling compelled to do for 60 seconds. And I need you in that 60 seconds to change my mind, to change my outlook, to change my trajectory. And, I, and the thing that is so amazing is if you do that, you will find the Holy Spirit taking over. And you're going to get to 61 seconds going, oh, that's amazing. That's weird. It's promised. That's what God does. Anger, lust, if there's someone that you need to forgive and you won't forgive them, just say, God, help me start to forgive them in 60 seconds. I might still hold a grudge at 61 seconds, but help me start to forgive them in 60 seconds and watch what God does to tell the truth. There'll be someone that you are scared to death to tell the truth to. Start telling the truth for 60 seconds. And when you get to 61, you will see amazing things happen. Mission, the adventure of your life is a moment-by-moment -moment set of choices. And for a Christian, it's a moment-by-moment -moment set of choices that are surrendered to the Holy Spirit's leadership in our life. There's no change that is good change in your life that will not be accomplished without the Holy Spirit's assistance, guidance, and leadership. And we can trust him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer.
Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the fact that you made a promise that the Holy Spirit's participation in our life would actually make hanging out with you look less. That it would actually be more beneficial to us because we would never have to catch up. We would never have to stay with, that you stay with us through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you assist each one of us to living a life of surrender. That you cause us to, re, to realize that we have a point on this planet to glorify you, to love you, and to love others. And that you've given us everything that we need to do everything that we should. Lord, I pray that by minute by minute, you give each, every, each and every person in this room the capacity to trust you. Holy Spirit, let us lean in and rely on you whether it's in our boyfriend and girlfriend relationship, our marriage, work, when we're hanging out with friends. Give us the ability to trust you in difficult times with difficult decisions, minute by minute by minute. And Lord, we thank you so much for the work that you're going to do through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's go live at church. And you have a wonderful week.